Hello, and welcome to In Excellent Company, a Zenix podcast. In this episode, Casey Cunningham, founder and CEO of Zenix, interviews Mark Miller, Vice President of High Performance Leadership at Chick-fil-A. They discuss the high performance culture at Chick-fil-A and how it has contributed to their success. If you're looking for some tips on how to create a high performing team in your business, you don't want to miss this episode. You're in excellent company today. Hi, Mark Miller, Casey Cunningham. What a privilege it is to finally meet you. It's my pleasure. Oh, my goodness. Um, for anybody listening in, uh, you're like, who is Mark Miller? Um, so you do something with chickens every day. You want to sort of yes. share context about yeah. um, you work with chickens every day? Yeah, I sell chicken and I have for over four decades. Uh, I have the privilege to work for Chick-fil-A. And f- over 40 years with Chick-fil-A. That's correct. I am only imagining um, the growth that you have experienced to watch and to learn a great company being born. It's been fantastic. I, I started as a team member, but I was an awful team member. We won't get into that. Um, <laughs> in fact, I was so bad, I knew I was going to be fired. So I made a strategic career decision, and this is not advice for any of your listeners, but I quit because I thought it would be better to have quit than to be able to have to explain to people why I was fired. And so I went and got another job. And six months later, I got laid off and I said, shoot, I need a job. So in my teenage mind, I said, well, I can't work in the restaurant. Maybe I can work at the corporate headquarters, which, of course, makes no sense at any level. But I walked in and told the receptionist I wanted a job working in the warehouse. She told me to sit down. Just a few minutes later, Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, came out, took me into his office to conduct the interview, which also doesn't make sense to a modern listener. But what you don't realize is that more than 40 years ago, Chick-fil-A was a really tiny company. And I learned that I was interviewing to be the 16th corporate employee. And I tell people, number Number 16... Number 16, and I tell people it was a combination of God's grace and lack of discernment on Truett's part that he (laughs) gave me that job working in the warehouse, and I also got to work in the mailroom, and that was 43 years ago. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so now what is your role in selling chickens at Chick-fil-A? Currently, I'm the vice president of high-performance leadership. Okay. But, but truthfully, truthfully, I've had trouble holding down a job over all these decades. <laughs> I've worked all over the business and I got to start several things. Again, not because of a skill set. I think it was let the kid do it. Let the kid do it. And I'd do it. I'd do it. I started our corporate communications group when I was 19 years old, started our quality and customer satisfaction group on and on and on, worked in the training group, led the operation, you know, uh, in field operations for a while on and on and on and on. But All of that aside, I think the reason I'm on this call with you is that about 25 years ago, I began to focus my time and energy on helping us grow leadership capacity, Mm. both corporately and in the restaurants. And that Mm. is the path that that led me here today. Listen, you, I am as passionate about leadership development as anyone, because I believe everything uh, rises and falls on the leader. And the better your leaders, the better the performance of the company. And today I want to talk to you about uh, culture. 
Um, I think it is the most important aspect of running a business today, because when you have a high performing culture, you have a high performing company. Uh, I think Peter Drucker said, um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And um, what to my surprise that someone said, oh, you've got to interview Mark Miller and you and I get to know each other. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you've written a book. And I have had the pleasure of an early release um, of culture rules. And so anyone who's watching, because this will be on podcast and video, anybody who's watching, you can see the book culture rules. But that doesn't come out until March 7th. So depending on when you listen to this uh, podcast will depend on whether it's already out, but you can pre-order it on Amazon. But I got to tell you, Mark, um, I got the copy. I start reading it. I'm smiling from ear to ear. Going, I cannot wait for today because you have simplified um, in such an articulate way why culture matters and how to enhance your culture to make it a high performance one. So just, I want to say thank you first of putting it in paper, and I'm sure it was a whole team involved uh, because of the depth of it, the statistics of performance. And let's get into some of that. So let's get started. Um, all right. So first of all, what made you decide that culture was so important that you wanted to write a book about it? Because this is your 11th book, right? That's correct. That's okay. correct. Well, one of the things that we started doing over 20 years ago is trying to figure out what are the near term and emerging issues that that we want to try to help with. And sometimes we even try to see over the horizon a little bit and say, how how can we add values to our leaders and leaders around the world? And a few years back, we began to hear rumblings about culture. Now, we've, we've known that it's always important. Any leader knows that it's important, but it was coming up more and more. And this was pre-COVID. And then COVID hit. And I cannot tell you how many conversations I've been, independent of the book project, with leaders inside our organization and around the country, around the world, who want to talk about culture. Mm-hmm. And somebody asked me just recently, this morning, they said, why do you think culture has kind of taken center stage? Why is it, it, it's on the center of the radar for so many leaders? And I said, I tell you what I think COVID did. It put every organization that I'm aware of under a lot of pressure. And Mm -hmm. I said, pressure does many things, but one thing that it does is it exposes what's there. Mm -hmm. And it can expose a strength, but it can also expose a gap or an opportunity or a weakness. And I have talked to leaders who were pleasantly surprised the way their culture enabled them to move through COVID, but I've talked to far more that that realize they've got cracks in this area. And so uh, I'm thankful that we started working on this book pre-COVID so that it could come out now and and hopefully provide uh, some encouragement and some some next steps for leaders who've decided they need to work on culture. You know, it's so interesting to me because uh, because of the remote workforce, I think the timing is, by the way, brilliant. And, you know, uh, what a blessing it is for you, because with the remote workforce, culture was already being shaped right prior. Now you have the flexibility and the hybrids and sometimes fully remote and culture is getting created. And people are really struggling with how do I maintain it or build it when I don't see them? And I'm not touching them. I'm not at the water cooler every day. Right. 
And so as I read it, you know, we've won 29 culture awards. I mean, what a blessing. I'm the consciously competent, incompetent from the, you know what I'm talking about. Unconsciously, unconsciously competent. Thank you. Unconscious. I, I teach this. I'm, I'm tongue twisted. Unconsciously competent. Uh, and then I realized as I started doing due diligence going, I know why we keep winning is I am intentional. And I think you wrote in the book that it is finite. Like uh, you never stop, right? It's infinite. I mean, I am ne- I will never stop being intentional about building the culture. So let's talk about the simplicity of what you've done and put into this book. Because I think any executive listening in, any leader, and let me be very clear, because it's not just the CEOs, it's every leader in an organization. Would you agree, right? That owns- Absolutely. Absolutely. So- uh, you mentioned in the book, I love the way you positioned it about the game and players. And again, first of all, I also appreciate the simplicity of how it was easy to read. It was, it's incredibly engaging. Um, you mentioned the world words that leaders animate culture. And uh, can you sort of share the three pronged approach to building culture? And then we can go a little deeper. Okay. I want to say one more word of context and it, it mm-hmm. may help explain why we did what we did. We did a global study. We talked to leaders and frontline associates, over 6,000 folks. And this legit study in 10 countries, because we said, we're looking for what is universally true. Let's start there. And we found that 72% of leaders say that culture is the most powerful tool at their disposal to drive performance. So let me let that set in a second. Seven out of 10 leaders globally, more than seven out of 10 leaders are saying culture is the most important driver of performance. All right. Okay. That's great. That there's Whether somebody taught them that, they, they figured that on their own through intuition, like they know it's important. Then we ask leaders to rank their priorities. Creating and maintaining culture came in at number 12. But they said it was most important. It's most important and it's number 12. And so my team, I had some really smart people, like really smart people. Uh, I tell folks I have multiple PhDs and they said, how did you do that? I said, I hired them. <laughs> and I'm going to use that, Mark. I'm going to use And. We were like, okay, we've got to, this doesn't make sense, but we know it makes sense at some level because it's what's happening. And one of the things that we discovered, there were many, we don't have time to get into all of it, but so many leaders are unsure what to do about culture because it feels soft, it feels squishy, it feels... Well, it's an unseen force, right? It's like, sure. how, do, how do you manage something you can't see? How do you? How, so we said, let's try to make this actionable and let's search for the irreducible minimum requirements. We ended up calling them rules that yes. a leader must play by or you're going to lose the game. Because here's the other thing I'll say for context and we'll move on. Every organization has a culture. You don't maybe think about that. It's either by design or -hmm. it's by default. Yes. But there are no great cultures by default. The toxins will win the day 
unless a leader is intentional. So when you say three things, there are probably some of your listeners going, well, culture is way more complicated than three things. Yeah, but we wanted to say, what are the irreducible minimum activities that a leader must engage with? And the good news for me and you and your listeners, it wasn't seven or 12 or 15. There are only three rules. Mm. The first. Okay. Go ahead. Before you do that, can you tell me this? How would you define a culture as far as the word culture? What is culture? Because I read, um, uh, I'm sure uh, Howard Schultz would love this because I was on a plane and I was uh, watching a podcast by him about leadership and I'm just a student of the game. And he mentions like culture is what your people say around the dinner table about your company. If you want to know who you are as a company is what do your employees say when they're talking to their family members around the dinner table? And I thought, okay. Wow. So how, how would you define it? That's good. No, no, that's good. So let's figure what determines what they say at the dinner table, because I'm okay. not going to challenge horse. I love horse. I, I know horse. That's, that's, that's brilliant. But let's take it upstream half a step, because me and you and your listeners, we want to affect what they're saying at the dinner table. Yes, yes. So culture is the cumulative effect of what people see, what they hear, what they experience, and what they believe. It's the cumulative effect of what they see, hear, experience, and believe. Well, that's good news for me and you because leaders control yes. what people see, hear, experience, and believe. Yes, we do. We do. Okay. So we said there are three rules that drive this whole game. Okay. The first is to aspire. Mm. You have to share your hopes and dreams for your culture. We were astonished during our research how many leaders cannot articulate the hopes and dreams for their culture. So, so I'm not I'm not going to let me let me let me say this. I'm not going to say aspire is most important, but I will say you can lose it right there. If you don't if you can't articulate it, you are not going to be able to create it. So let me ask you, is this the same clarity of share your hopes and dreams for the company or for the culture? Yes, but you have to be sure it's cult there is a cultural component. I would never exclude what you want for the company. But if you sure. say we want to be a billion dollar company, okay, that's a great, potentially a great goal, but that's not a cultural aspiration. So you want to get we want to, specific. We want to be a billion dollar company known for our hospitality and creativity. Now mm -hmm. that's a that's a cultural aspiration, right? Okay. So so yes, it can certainly include both, but it it can't just be in my estimation, it can't just be a financial metric as an example. Gotcha. Okay. What so are your hopes and dreams for your culture? All right. So you have to answer that. And I think in the book, you described it as your ethos. Well, okay. So let me, let me take, let me, it can be. So I, I devote some space to this and, and we had a lot of debate about if this was going to be helpful or not, but I've talked to enough people that, that I think it will. Mission, vision, purpose, values, ethos, it's potentially overwhelming, and on a good day, it can be confusing. Mm 
And here's why it can be confusing to a lot of really smart people, because you and I can right now Google anyone. Let's take vision as an example. Sure. And you'll have you'll have very smart people who have fundamentally different definitions of vision. Same for mission. It's like, so here's what I tell leaders. There's one thing, and you can parse out the difference. And I do in the book, because there's actually, I believe, a predominant worldview on what each of those things actually means. But they ha- they all have one thing in common. They are mechanisms to help a leader articulate their hopes and dreams. So you may choose to share your aspiration in the term of vision. You may choose to share it in the term of mission. You may want to use values in that. And you may choose a combination of those. I tell leaders, as long as people know your hopes and dreams, and there's one acid test, have you have you articulated it well? I would not say correctly, but have you articulated it well? Is it clear? Is it simple? And is it repeatable? We interviewed a a leader recently who talked about his cultural aspiration for an hour. And he used about 45 different adjectives. Now, at some level, he is correct. They described the place. It was not simple, clear, or repeatable. We left the conversation going, How can his people build what he just described? Mm. He gave us multiple lists. And each time I thought, are those his core values? Are those his core values? Are those, this is important. List off three things. And later it's like, these are critical. And then there was a later, I believe. And he gave us three or four more. And it's like, is it simple? Is it clear? And is it repeatable? And you can call it vision, values, ethos. I even know a guy who chose an inanimate object to represent his aspiration. I write about this in the book. He chose a lighthouse. I loved it too, by the way. Yeah, you described And so, well, his employees wear a little pin and it's they want to be a, a, a place of safe harbor and restoration because some people think lighthouses are all about just warning of danger. Well, that's part of their purpose, but it's also to guide ships safely back home. And he said, I want to be a lighthouse in my community. So he said, that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to create. That's what our culture is all about. And so so to me, that just illustrates the breadth of mechanisms is the term I use that you can choose from as long as people know your hopes and your dreams. That's, That's what aspiration is all about. Well, I appreciated when I was reading the book because the the, the um, clarity about mission, vision, values, purpose, is, it is confusing. And I think leaders try to fill in some kind of conversation on each one, which can be um, complex to the associates because we call them, I'm sorry, associates instead of employees. We call employees have a really tough time grasping. Who are we? What are the hopes and dreams? So I love the simplicity in the book and anybody listening in, I know you didn't even ask me to bring up the book, uh, but after reading it, I just went, this is such a powerful way to impact people's lives because if we can impact the leaders, then we can impact the people that work there. Um, So, all right. So aspiration is number one um, and making again, clear, simple and repeatable the hopes and dreams of the company or the culture. Okay. I'll close. I'll close with a quote here. Okay. A problem well defined is half solved. 
John Dewey and others have been saying that for 150 years. It's attributed to many, many people. A problem well-defined is half solved. You haven't won the game when you have a clear aspiration, but you're way down the road because now everybody knows what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish, what you're trying to become. Mm. And it's like, I, you need everybody to create the culture. The leader can't do it alone, but the organization can't do it without the leader. And so aspiration is just critical. I'm curious, what are your thoughts about having team members help you with the hopes and dreams? Because specifically in the book, you call to action for you as a leader to sit down and you give some very uh, simple directives on how to get to your hopes and dreams statement, if you will. Um, Would you involve other people in helping you do that? Or do you think leaders should sit down by themselves first? Yeah, I, I think the context matters a lot. Um, and, and the style and preferences of the leader and the urgency of the situation. Mm. If, if you're, if you're in an organization, you know, that's on fire, you you may not want to invest the time and energy, but I think about one of the many case studies in the book, Satya Nadella, when he took over, um, Microsoft from Steve Ballmer, he had worked in the company for years, but when he became the CEO, he went on a year long listening tour before he established their new aspiration. Mm. So even an insider, I think they're, they're adequate case studies and examples of it's really, really, really good to get input. Now, I think the leader has to own it at the end of the day and he or she has to declare it. Uh, but I, I would never be against input unless the circumstances were such that that was not the prudent next step. Excellent. Okay. So uh, curious, uh, your thoughts on a large organization who has, let's say, 100 branches, 100 uh, stores, whatever it might be. Is there different aspirations? Because you have a corporate aspiration, and then you have, uh, I find, different cultures happen away from corporate. Yes. So what are your thoughts on that? Because I think people really struggle because you can work at a company, and obviously you work for Chick-fil-A, so you understand this right. is a large question. What are your thoughts there? Different aspirations for everybody? Or- okay. Yeah. I wish we had a week to talk about this. So de- well, please I'm don't have miss to have you back already because there's so well, much. Still please, please, I would encourage your listeners, don't uh, misconstrue the brevity of my response with the magnitude of the question. Mm-hmm. Not just this question, but others. But let me say it like this. That's the world we live in. We, we, people ask me about the culture at Chick-fil-A and I say there are about 3000 of those cultures because we have the corporate entity and then we have almost 3000 restaurants. And so what those restaurants become are micro cultures, not like, I mean, not unlike in an organization that doesn't have distributed locations, but you've got an accounting department and you've got a marketing department and you've got an, those those are microcultures as well. So I don't I don't think it's productive to pretend those things don't exist. I think there has to be a degree of alignment that certainly nothing that's happening in those microcultures can be in opposition to the overarching ethos or values or purpose of the the primary entity because at that point a microculture becomes a counterculture. And those are those are not good. So I would not be concerned. In fact, I would expect 
an organization with a hundred outlets to have a hundred different interpretations of the culture, because it's always going to be a reflection of that point leader. It's going to bear their fingerprints uh, because they lead that entity. So not a problem as long as you have a strong culture at the top that other people then can nest under. So at Chick-fil-A, what is the aspiration? Well, the aspiration, uh, it, 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 the reason I'm even hesitating is uh, at our meeting next week, our, our new CEO, Andrew Cathy, Truett's grandson, is going to share our new aspiration. So he is the new CEO. And he has refined, as many CEOs do, he, he hasn't thrown out the baby uh, with the bathwater, but he has refined that. So I'm not going to share that. But I will say this, it's rooted in our corporate purpose, which is unchanging. We've had it now for more than 40 years, and it's to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's entrusted to us and to have a positive influence on everyone who comes in contact with Chick-fil-A. So that has been unchanging for 40 years, uh, probably even beyond that. But that's when we codified that and began to publicly talk about that. But uh, if, if we do another show, I'll tell you what Andrew is revealing next week. I don't want to let the, the cat out of the bag. So you already know it. I do. OK. All right. Are you excited about it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course you are. Okay, let's do number two. So the first one is defining your aspiration, making sure hopes and dreams are defined. They're simple, repeatable, uh, and clear, clear. Got it. Okay, so what's number two? Amplify. Amplify. And this is working continuously to ensure that you're reinforcing the aspiration. Hmm. And we chose Amplify on purpose because there's so much noise in the world. Mm. And, we, and the leader has to, to turn up the volume, to make larger the messaging because people are busy and they're distracted. And as the earlier statistics uh, I referenced would indicate, the leaders are busy and distracted too. They're not even working on what's most important. And so you've got to constantly be looking for ways to reinforce the aspiration. Now, there are so many ways to do this. And and you and I have talked about this off camera and previously. When when you start thinking about all the things you do, you do a lot of things. And I just want to be really clear. There are three rules, but there are a whole lot of ways that those rules come to life. And I illustrated that for somebody just recently. I said, think about in uh, football, the forward pass is allowed by rule. There's a rule that says if you're behind the line, you can throw it to somebody. That's a rule. But how many different routes are there? Hmm. They're infinite routes. So even when we talk about Aspire, I want to share a couple of quick ideas with your listeners. But but you can, I mean, I would, about Amplify, but you can find scores, hundreds, thousands, probably infinite ways, but you're still trying to, to reinforce the aspiration. You got to get above the noise. People have to believe that this is important. This is not going away. This leader is serious about this. And so that's, that's the whole point of Amplify. 
Now, amplify, Mark, you're not one and done. Where I'm going to say the aspiration, I won't say that's one and done, but you've defined, right, what you want your culture to look like. When you think amplify, um, is this, you amplify it for a week, a month, um, you know, for five years? This is forever. This is forever. And let me say this about culture at large. I had a CEO contact me a while back. And it was an interesting conversation. He introduced himself and obviously he knew I worked at Chick-fil-A. And he said, I want you to come in, uh, meet with my senior team and install a new culture. And that, he ch- that was his language. And I said, well, I said, I don't want to read too much into your choice of words, but that's not actually how it works. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, the culture you admire at Chick-fil-A, we have been building it for decades and we will be building it forever. And he said, what do you mean? (laughs) And I said, you don't do it and check it off. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, I'm saying you got to work on this forever. He said, you can't just install a new one. He was serious. I wondered if somebody was punking me, you know, and I'm like, no, there's candid cameras around here somewhere. And this guy just wanted to just do it. And it's like, that's not the way culture works. It's like, it's a forever kind of thing. And we'll talk more about that in the third rule, but you're absolutely correct. You've got to always be amplifying because there's always noise and you've got to get the aspiration above the noise and you need to keep it above the noise. Well, that's interesting. I had a, um, a, a marketing executive join my team at one point. This is a years ago. And she, um, we were winning awards. And she was the one who had to fill out the documents and, you know, of course, get us qualified. And of course, they survey the employees, right? That's sort of the the premise of it. And she said she came from a company where she was told by the executive, I want to win a culture award and you better make it happen. And she goes, it was a horrible culture, but he just wanted it, but he didn't know how to do it. And so I think this book will be a really good one for him because he wanted the same thing. Build me a good culture. But he he didn't own it. And I think the message here is as a leader, it begins with you wanting it, knowing. And by the way, the statistics in the books about the difference between high performance cultures and those that don't have it are so worthy of the listeners um, because there is zero. Everybody, every leader needs to know culture is your destiny. And ultimately, it will define whether or not you're going to be successful long term. Uh, Absolutely. As, as you clearly stated with the, the uh, research your team has done. Okay. Right, so, so let me, can I, can I give you really two quick, because people yes. listening are probably going to go, how do I amplify? I mean, yes, it's fine to say examples. there are infinite ways, but we think the two that rose to the top of our list, because not only did we do this quant work around the world, we did scores of interviews with leaders from I saw household names and brands. The list is crazy of all the folks we interviewed. Um, and so one of the things we were able to discern is that the two primary ways that I think a leader can amplify culture, the first is role modeling. Mm. People always watch the leader, even if you don't want them to. They are always watching the leader. So are your actions aligned with your aspiration? Now, we're not perfect. We're humans. But people expect us to give a good faith effort if we expect them to give a good faith effort. So role yeah. modeling is, is first. And I, there's some great stories, I think, in the book about that that folks will enjoy. Um, the other is storytelling. 
people love stories. They've loved stories for tens of thousands of years, go all the way back to the cave paintings. We can imagine that there was a story that went with those pictures, right? Um, and the methods and the means of storytelling have changed throughout the, the centuries, but people love storytelling. Well, here's, and they're powerful for a lot of reasons. You probably know that, again, experientially, intuitively, we go into some of the reasons and rationale in the book, but here's the part I don't want leaders to miss. As powerful as stories are, they're even more powerful when delivered by the leader. They carry disproportionate weight, impact, and influence. So the question is, are you telling stories to amplify your aspiration? So are you suggesting a leader actually, uh, let's say one of their hopes and dreams is to have exceptional customer service uh, concept or uh, uh, we'll say culture. They need to find stories that amplify that of clients who've experienced it, said it, et cetera. And Absolutely. Sure that the stories bring it to reality. Like we are doing it. And the more you speak it, the more you share it, the more you'll live it. And yes, yes, yes. And there's something, uh, I don't know the science behind this, but, but it's the, the power of testimony. When you hear that someone else has done something, it grows your confidence that you can do it. Oh, a hundred percent. Because right. if you believe it, then you will achieve it. And you have to show people that they're capable. Right. And if someone else can do it. It's the four minute mile. If you know the history of that. I that do. I nobody do. Nobody can do the four minute mile. But the minute it was broken, people believed it could happen. And it opened right. the gate. And so, so if you keep hearing stories about extraordinary customer service from your peers and your colleagues, it's like, well, maybe I could do that. I think I could do that. And then all of a sudden you can do it. Oh, and they're telling your story. And, and what gets recognized and rewarded gets repeated. Just like our kids, right? If I tell you how good you're doing, they'll continue to do good. It's the child that, you know, you get what you um, amplify. Right. You get yeah. what you amplify. So. All right. So rule one was um, let me make sure you were going to go fire Two is amplify. And you gave some great. And, by the way, role modeling is one of my favorites, Mark. I just got to tell you, I'm so glad that was number one for you because uh, nobody wants to work for someone who's hypocritical. Uh, right. Who says do this, but they don't. We right. all want to see a role model that we want to follow. You know, right? Somebody that's actually leading us. OK, so what's number three? Adapt, mm. adapt. And this is continuously working to enhance the culture. And this one is tricky. Some of your listeners are probably going, uh, wait a minute, here's, here's why this is so tricky. If you have a clear aspiration and you amplify it well, your culture will move, it will shift. You will, you will begin creating what you have set out to create. Your hopes and dreams will become a reality. So a lot of leaders, like the CEO who called me, they want to then check the box, we're done. You know, they want to, they want to put uh, uh, saran wrap over it, right? They want to protect it at that point. Here's what happens. When, when you put the, the shrink wrap over your culture to try and protect it, you suffocate. Mm. Cultures are living, breathing things, and leaders are always working to enhance their culture. You, you got to be working to enhance your culture. 
because the world changes, your culture changes, your aspiration, although typically constant, it, it, you'll tweak it over time. As I mentioned, our new CEO is going to put a slightly different spin on it because the aspiration is always a reflection of the leader. It has their DNA. It has their fingerprint. And so it's fine to, to change an aspiration. That's part of what you learn when, when you're adapting. Adapting well is always preceded by listening well. Mm. And you'll learn that there are things you need to change and you're going to adapt. You mentioned uh, previously this whole idea of virtual work and hybrid work. Well, that's a changing reality in the world. So we as leaders have got to figure out how do we adapt Mm -hmm. in order to thrive in that type of world. Doesn't doesn't mean we're going to diminish our culture. I would argue you're going to enhance your culture. Oh my gosh, we're out of time. And I am dying to ask you some questions about vulnerability of leaders, what that means in the world of the cultures today, because that's the other conversation that everybody's discussing. But um, so anyone listening in, aspire, amplify, and adapt. Uh, The book, highly recommended. I'm going to tell you, it's probably my favorite culture book I've read uh, because it makes it easy to understand the amount of research your team has done. Um, I, I can't even begin to tell you how many things I've already highlighted and um, that I'll be taking back to my team. I'm about to have a company meeting and it really resonated so much with me. So I want to say thank you, Mark. You've Good. left a, a mark on my life and certainly my team. Uh, I would love Do you have any, I know you have some favorite stories. Can we end with a good story? Okay, here's one. And it's the one I closed the book with. I don't know how many of your listeners saw the movie Ready Player One, uh, an adaptation of Klein's novel by the same name. So here's here's the really quick storyline. You've got a kid who is spending a lot of time in a virtual world called the Oasis. It's a very unique, thriving and dynamic culture. And it's where people wanted to go. Mm. And in the movie, the hero, Percival, he issues what I think is a really good challenge for leaders as they think about culture. He said, people go to the oasis because of what they can do there. And they stay because of who they can become. It's like, what would happen if, if we all created cultures that might attract people because of what they could do there? But once they experience it, they stay because of who they can become. I think, I think that's a worthy goal. And uh, one I hope and pray that this book will help leaders around the world accomplish. Well, God bless you, Mark. Thank you so much for the time today. I hope you'll come back. I'd love to give more context uh, for anyone listening in, hopefully encouraging everybody to get the book. They can get it on Amazon, but they can also get it on your website, right? Yes, leadeveryday.com. And the only reason you might want to go there is we have some bulk purchase incentives, uh, including me doing a virtual keynote for your organization if you buy 12 copies. But if you buy 500, I'll get on a plane and I'll come see you. Wow. My dime. What a, go- oh my goodness, uh, everybody, you need to take advantage of that for sure. Um, Mark, thank you so much for your time. Everybody, get the book. Again, the name of it is Culture Rules. We'll put the link um, on the podcast or the 
video, depending on how you're watching it. Uh, Mark, you're going to be a real gift to everyone. I cannot wait for the book come to come out. Uh, but thank you for your time today. What a pleasure. Thank you, Casey. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to join us again. And don't forget to check back for new episodes of In Excellent Company, a Zenix podcast. You can download our episodes wherever you love to listen to your podcasts or on our website at www.zenix.com slash in excellent company. See you next time.